0: If you're new or listening at home, I'm Tom, lead pastor here at Coast. We're glad you're with us. Uh, We are continuing our series, His Great Names. Uh, We're focusing on uh, the prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 9, and we're kind of exploring or kind of digging into uh, what the names of Jesus mean and how they actually have impact for us today. So hopefully we can take away something from who Jesus is for this Advent season. And so, uh, just to, to refresh our memory, let's, let's take a look again at Isaiah 9. Uh, for, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. A couple of weeks ago, we suggested maybe a miracle planner, a marvel planner, a wonder planner, a mighty God. Uh, last week we suggested uh, a warrior god who 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 takes it to the uh, to sin and to evil forces today, everlasting father, prince of peace of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end well uh as i 've been doing this we 've kind of jumped into the Hebrew a little bit to kind of. Get a better sense, maybe because sometimes the, the, this language in English can, can be a little bit misleading or if not misleading, a little bit uh, curious and so when we hear everlasting father, that word everlasting is, is a big it 's a big deal, right and so it sounds like to us that this is a father who uh, has no beginning, has no end, and that 's true that is totally true that is who God is, God does not have a beginning or end, but the the Hebrew here um, has a connotation, has a feel of something like always or enduring. Um, and so the idea would be that not only does, does God not have a beginning or end, but he's always being father. He's always being dad. Like uh, the, there's no time in which he's not being father to his people. And to get a sense for how this, you know, kind of works in the Old Testament, check out uh, the, some near the beginning. This is Genesis 17 after uh, God has changed Abram's name to Abraham, promises him he'll, he'll be the father of many nations. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you. This, we're going to, I'm going to keep covenanting with you. I'm not going to quit on that. A covenant is a solemn oath, a vow of commitment. And that, that vow of commitment is never going to stop. It's never going to quit. And your descendants after you for the generations to come. I promise I will not quit being your God. Your father. And the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner. I will give as an everlasting possession. It's always going to be your possession. Even if you're not there. It's going to be yours. To you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. Well this this sense of of. Always of enduring, of not stopping. It continues into the New Testament. Then Jesus is going to confess that He is this type of father. This is John ten. Um, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of his hands, and this in I and the Father are one. I too am the father. This is a profound thing. That the, the, the Christian view of God is, is unprecedented in all of human history because the, the Christian view says that no matter who you are, no matter what you do, once you are grabbed by God, he will never let go of you. There is no other religion that suggests that once you're caught, you're caught for good. No one can stop him from being your father. You can't even stop him from being your father. Once he's been your father, he's gonna be your father forever, for always. He has covenanted with you a solemn vow that he will never stop loving you and holding you, even if you want to run away. I had a picture, I had a great dad. A really good dad. Yeah. <laughs> This is, uh, this this photo was taken just before, uh, he fell in, uh, twenty twenty one. Um, and, uh, he, uh, well, so yesterday uh, my mom and I were, uh, driving to Alice's soccer game and you know, this time of year can be a little tough because pretty much starting at Thanksgiving, um, it's hard for me to have memories. I don't have memories that don't include my dad. Um, and so we were reminiscing about, like he was, he was a Renaissance man. And so back in the day, people used to like buy actual real living Christmas trees uh, to put them into their houses. And uh, he used to do that. And I remember uh, we were talking about how, We looked back, and it was like, oh, this was so sweet and fun. It was a total nightmare. Like, everyone was miserable until it was done. It started out great. We put on uh, Christmas carols on the downstairs stereo, blasting it through the house. And then the stress begins as we're, you know, he's. we had this little, uh, like, holder for the tree. Um, it was red and green, and you had to set the tree in it, and then it had, like, screws that you would screw in to try and make it so it was straight. And it never was. And so eventually you had to, like, turn it so that it looked like it was straight. But it was actually leaning back towards the window. And the whole time he's furious. He's like, how? you know, how is— this? And then, of course, our dog, Hallie, would drink the water out of the— I mean, it was a real mess. I don't know if any of you guys still do— Do you, anyone here have a real tree? Well, I mean, wow, God bless you. You people are—you people are— yeah, strength and honor. Good. <laughs> um we Yeah, we, we we gave up um at some point. <laughs> um But man, it's uh it's crazy because you know, I look back and I have those fond memories growing up and um he's not here anymore. I mean he was larger than life. He was an amazing dude. Um and I know that a lot of us here don't have great relationships with your dad, I know. Um, a lot of us maybe don't even know our dads. A lot of us thought we knew our dads and then we found out we were wrong. The fact of the matter is, is that no matter how great or how bad your dad is, he's not always gonna be there. Sooner or later, he's gonna be gone. But the testimony of Isaiah is that Jesus is the always being their dad. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Everlasting father means that Jesus is always dad, no matter what. And I use that word dad because Jesus even taught us to, to speak of the father as Abba, which is like a familiar term, like a nurturing term, um, because we're gonna need that, especially this time of year. Some of us, if you're like me, man, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to wake up and be like, man, I miss that. But you can take solace in knowing that there is a dad who's still with you and always will be with you in the spirit. And so just to set it in your mind, a couple of questions here. The first one, just kind of set it in your mind because I think it's going to matter as we continue through this, um, this message. But what was your relationship with your dad or your mom, but mainly dad, like? And I wanted, I wanted to settle in just as I'm talking, just kind of, just kind of be thinking about that in the background. Because um, as we move through it, we're gonna see what a good father is like and how that is going to change us. And so it's important for us to, to be honest. Good, bad, and ugly, okay? For some of us, our, our relationship with our dad is great. You know, a little bit of bad, a little bit of ugly, but mostly great. For some of us, it was bad. Really ugly. It's hard to remember the good things. Well, let's just be, just settle in and be honest with it. And the second thing is, is this: um, Are you with your kids, literally and emotionally? When I say parents, by the way, everyone here is a spiritual parent. Whether or not you have children of your own, whether or not you are married yet, as long as you're a part of this community, you have a responsibility to those who are younger to you, um, younger than you. And 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 there, we should be thinking about: Are we there? <laughs> Right? Like, that's the whole, the whole point of the, of, of Jesus being the everlasting father, the, the always there father he's modeling for us what we as parents should be like. And I know, uh, it's not just fathers because we have, the reality is we have broken relationships. And so, for some of us, you're mom and dad. Um, and that's just how it is. And in that, are we there? I know none of us are going to be perfect. We, we got to have a balance. We got to have some grace for ourselves. Uh, so that, you know, don't sit there and shame and guilt yourself all the time if you're not 100%. In fact, last, last night at 6 p.m., I think it was 6, maybe it was 4. Might have been 4. I'd been, I would say, probably a B plus father all day. I, I, I watched the soccer games. We played. We did all the things. Right around 4 p.m., I was like, I need to play some Baldur's Gate 3 on my PlayStation right now. And at that time, my son Soren was like, I want to play a game. Alice was gone. I think Aaron was taking uh, Olivia to another soccer game. So it was just me and him. And I, I was like, he's sweet. He's super, super cute. He's five, five and a half. And and I, and I, that's temporary. I know it. He's not going to be like this forever. And, and I was sitting there and I, I was literally thinking, I was like, I know I'm probably not going to remember playing this video game. And this time is short. And yet I need a break. And I hope that I find that balance between being there literally and emotionally uh for him without uh without just like torturing myself. I want to find that sweet balance where he has the same kind of memories that I of me growing up that I had of my dad. Um and, and I, I suggest that all of us have to find that balance together. And for some of us, it's like it's a lot easier. Uh, for some of us, it's a lot harder. But whoever we are, um, whether it's your children or the children here in the church, we have to be with them literally and emotionally, but not, you know, to destroy ourselves. Because that's the only one who can be there always is our always dad, Jesus. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus is a father to us? Well, Jesus actually, we're coming full circle here because at the beginning of this year, we had a three-week series on what's normally called the parable of the prodigal son, Um, but we called it uh, the, the, the good father. And I, there were a few things I kind of, we left on the table that I was like, oh, I want to talk about that because it's such a rich passage. There's so much there. Um, and I, but we, we just didn't have time. And, and I thought, you know, since Jesus tells this story, he's telling a story about what kind of dad he is. Like that, that's what the story is. He's the good father is Jesus is. And and so when he tells that, that parable, he's telling us something about him. And there are just two things I think matter so much, especially in the Advent season. And so uh, just to catch you up to speed, the story goes that there's a, a, a good father. He's a, he's a, a rancher, a farmer. He has a very large estate. He has two sons. The younger son is a bit of a pistol, and he uh, says, Dad, I'm tired of, you know, being on the farm with you. I want to have fun, so give me half of your, of, of your money, my inheritance, and then I'm going to go and live the way that I want to live. And so the father says, okay, sure. Um, probably has to take out a loan to do so. Goes into debt in order to like give the kid what he's what he's owed uh, for his inheritance. And then the kid goes and if you know the story, he lives it up. He parties hard. He uh, <laughs> he makes all the wrong friends, does all the wrong things, and he wastes his his wealth. He squanders it all. And at a certain point, a famine comes to the land, and he's like a, a hired hand on some some uh, pig farmer's uh, farm, and he's like. Just the only thing he has to eat is the, the leftover slop of the pigs. And that's where we pick it up. And when he came to his senses, right, he's sitting there starving to death, eating pig slop. He comes to his senses and says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got out, he got up and went to his father. It's an interesting, it's it's interesting because it's telling us something about what kind of dad he's got that he's never really noticed before, hasn't thought about it. But it, it takes him, you know, starving, eating the pig slop for him to realize, wait a minute, my dad gives, has so much that even his, like, even the people he just pays, they, they have food left over because of his abundance and how much he has to give. And it occurs to the son he's like wow that's like that's amazing i, I never, it never occurred to me how incredible that is that he's got so much and he's willing to share so that even the people that he pays to work for him are are full all the time It's because he realizes that his dad is a provider his dad takes care not just of his his Physical sons, but even his his servants, he takes care of anyone who's connected to him. And it's a found. It's a fundamental change in the sons' like attitude about life. Better to be a a, a fat and happy servant with my dad than this. The uh, the the social scientists at Berkeley did a uh, an experiment. In 2017, where they, they had, um, they, they have some pretty extensive, uh, counseling services, therapy services at the university. And so they had 300 adults requesting help with anxiety and depression. So 300 adults need some kind of change. And so what the social scientists at Berkeley did is they said this, if you participate in this study we're doing, we'll give you the therapy for free. And so the people were like, yes. And so they, they set, they, they, broke up the group into three 100 person cohorts. And the first uh, cohort was like just, they did the normal thing. They just did therapy, you know, let's talk, see how things are going, just no, normal, whatever. The second group, they had them do a homework assignment. Every week, they had to write out all of their negative emotions, feelings. What is causing this? Um, What's wrong with me? Uh, And how's it impacting my life? So once a week, they had to write all that out. And then the third group, the third group had another assignment. Their assignment was to write a thank you letter to somebody in their life. They didn't have to send it. In fact, only 23 out of the 100 people who had this assignment actually sent the letters that they wrote. But every week they had to send a thank you, a letter of gratitude to a different person in their life. And so what happened was, uh, within four weeks, within one month, uh, the people who were sending a letter of gratitude had remarkable improvement in their anxiety and depression. After 12 weeks they were two standard deviations higher in terms of their success in their therapy, their, their overall overall well, uh, mental well-being, their health. Two stand I mean, it was like complete, the researchers were blown away by the results that they got. And what happened was, in these people's lives, they didn't realize how much they were being taken care of. Because, you know, they got busy, and things didn't go their way. And so it became difficult to notice just how much people other people had been pouring in. And so for every tw- for 12 weeks another person and as they're writing this and realizing the impact of these other people in their lives, their entire mentality changed. The good father Jesus, he he's always taking care of us. And we Barely even notice. That's so the next thing you your note, Jesus is the Father who always takes care of us, he's, and he never stops. He's been take, he was taking care of you before you knew him. He's taking care of you now. He will take care of you forever. And that maybe brings up a couple of questions, the first of which is this. Do you notice how much he's taking care of you? If not, make a practice of gratitude. The, the researchers at Berkeley, they're all atheists. And so they, they said, write a, a letter of gratitude to people in your life. If you, if, you, if you struggle with this, if you're like deeply dissatisfied, you finally are always complaining, overwhelmed, all the things, I challenge you, like for real, once a week, write Jesus a letter and say thank you for something he's done. Like, I mean, actually just sit down and do it. It's it's funny to us, you know, <laughs> here we are, I'm talking, you're listening, and we, we think, okay, I'll be more, uh, you know, have more gratitude and I'll make points. point it. it. It's interesting, though, as human beings, when we actually do something, when we put our bodies into it and our minds into it, it actually becomes, it's much more impactful. And so if you are somebody who is struggling with gratitude, if, especially Christmas season, right? Are you're, you're, you're distracted by this and distracted by that and worried about this and worried about that. And, and we're, what we're supposed to be celebrating is the greatest gift that God ever gave himself with being with us, Emmanuel, God with us. If that's a challenge, I, I challenge you, write a letter once a week. I'll hold you accountable. You tell me you're going to do it and I'll follow up. And then let's see if that maybe changes your heart, changes your mind. And the next thing for us is because we have this good father, this this father who always takes care of us, we are challenged to imitate him. Parents, and again, by parents, I mean every single person here, are we taking care of our kids? It's not just provision, although that's important. It's making sure that they're being brought up well. The uh, the the second bit about Jesus, uh, his his good fatherhood that we didn't get a year ago. C- continue. Let's let's look back at the text. So the 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 kid um he gets up he runs home, and while he's a, a long way off, his father saw him and was filled com- with compassion. He can see the damage that has been done to this boy's body. But from starving and then suffering. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring, bring bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring out the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What is this significance? Why why does Jesus make such a point to be like? He gets the best clothes, the best robe. He gets a ring, puts it on his finger. Gets sandals on his feet. Why 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 not just be like? Hey, it's good to have you back. Why why include that detail? My all-time favorite uh, Bill Murray movie is Groundhog Day. I don't know if you I don't know if you've seen this film uh it's 1993 for you youngsters um it holds up man like i know that you think that what josh was saying that uh the super mario brothers movie was the best movie of the year okay well it was okay i, I liked it but uh but it holds doesn't hold a candle to groundhog day if you don't know uh the movie the the conceit is this bill murray plays a- an arrogant uh out of touch weathercaster in philadelphia pennsylvania And he thinks a lot of himself, he sees himself as a celebrity, has a lot to offer the world. And he's just an insufferable jerk. And and the worst part of his year is every year, his network sends him to Punxsutawney, Philadelphia, or Punxsutawney, PA, which is the home of Punxsutawney Phil, the most famous groundhog in the world, and on February... Second, on February 2nd, uh, there's a thing where, like, the groundhog comes out and sees a shadow. I don't really get it. I don't know. I, that was never something we. It's like if you seize a shadow, there's more winter or less. I don't know. And, uh, and, and, and Bill Murray is like, I hate this. This isn't this, this podunk town, this stupid tradition. And so he goes and he does it. And he, uh, he predicts that, that he's gonna get out, get back to Philadelphia where the parties are. Uh, but a snowstorm comes in. He's caught in Punxsutawney, PA, and he has to spend a second night there. And he wakes up, and it's February 2nd, Groundhog Day, again. And he's like, wait, I remember doing this yesterday, but nobody else, everyone else is like, it never happened. Everyone else is like, "Oh, it's it's Groundhog Day." Nobody he meets or has any recollection of what's gone before. And part of the comedy of the movie is him just acting, like acting like a complete nut job. And everyone else is like, "What are you doing yourself?" In this scene, uh, his producer, he uh, he's like, "Hey, come have uh, lunch with me." And he has he's like smoking a cigarette, he's drinking tons of coffee, he has pastries and donuts. And she's like, "You're acting. You're living as if there's no tomorrow." And he's like, "What if there's not?" She has no recollection of what he has experienced. It's gone. It's it's it doesn't exist for her. There's uh, aficionados of this movie who estimate that Bill Murray's character had to spend two million days uh, in Punxsutawney in order to uh, accomplish all the thing. I don't know if that's true, um, but I mean that that seems like a lot. <laughs> uh, but that, that's 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 what they say. But isn't it what? Isn't, isn't it wild to imagine a world Imagine a world in which there are people Who treat you As if the past never Happened If we think back to the prodigal son The reason why the father puts On the robe and the ring And the sandals is he's saying To his son, nothing's changed That never Happened You took half my fortune. You put me in debt. You left the family. It never happened. It's gone. That, that, that is forgiveness. That is the kind of forgiveness that God gives to us. It's like it never happened. It's the last thing I noticed. Jesus is the Father who always treats us as if we had never sinned at all. Do you believe that? Imagine how Jesus sees you. By the way, it doesn't mean you don't need to repent. You do. When you do wrong things, uh, you know, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You do have to repent. That's not, you don't know, get, you know, get scot free on that. However, imagine what Jesus looks at you like. He looks at you as if none of it ever happened. That's a, that's a couple questions here. The first one is, do you believe? What would it look like? How would you change your view of yourself if you saw yourself the way Jesus sees you? A lot of us um, come today with a lot of guilt, guilt, a lot of shame about parts of our life um, that are super messed up. When you go to Jesus... It's like it never happened. He sees you not as you are today, not as you were then, but as you will be on the day when you enter glory. That's who he sees. And if we start to see ourselves that way, maybe we can live into that truth. Maybe we can transform and become more like that. Maybe we can begin to be freed up from this guilt and shame that holds us back and instead live into the works, the good things that he has for us in the future. Last question. (laughs) Who have you forgiven, (laughs) but not really? It's not, it's a weird thing about humanity. We actually have to re-forgive. That's why Jesus talks about how many times must you forgive. The, The reason for that is not just that we should do a lot of forgiving. It's that we have to because we can get to a place where we forgive somebody, right? Where we can see them as though it never happened. That's possible. What happens though is that over time we, it creeps back in. The bitterness, the resentment. We, we thought we had it taken care of, we forgave, but just, we get to this place where we're like, ah! And, 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 the, and the grudges that we held, they start to reemerge. You can tell if you haven't really forgiven someone because if you're honest with yourself, there's there's still that bitterness. There's still the resentment, the anger. And it might be a him or her or them. It could be a group of people, people who've wronged you. But you haven't forgiven the way the good father forgives until that's gone. And it might take you 70 times seven or however many times Jesus says of re-forgiving to get there. I mention all this um, because of Advent. Um, I'm just being honest with you when I say that, uh, for whatever reason, um, this this holiday season has been really hard for me. The first two, when my dad was gone, I don't I don't know. I guess maybe I was still in shock or getting used to it. I don't know. Um, But I was thinking about Jesus' fatherhood and and my own dad and and all these things. I was like, man, what if there are people in this congregation who are missing how good their dad is, their their spiritual father? Not noticing the amazing gifts, the good things that he's been giving. What if there are people in this congregation who especially... uh, are not seeing themselves as forgiven? And even worse, what if we have relationships in our lives that need to change, that forgiveness needs to happen again? I I, I look back and I'm like, man, I didn't know how good I had it until he was gone and I know I've still got it good because my spiritual father is giving good gifts and he is forgiving and he's encouraging me to forgive, but am I seeing it? Am I noticing? Am I seizing it? Don't let this Advent season leave without getting to know your spiritual father better, without making things right with people Let's pray. Gracious God and good, good Father, we thank you for the way that you are always with us, that you never stop being dad, no matter how far we run away. That you're always there to receive us and forgive us and treat us as if the past is just that. You take care of us. You provide for us. You you shower good gifts on us all the time and we, we barely even notice. Good, good Father, please send your spirit and power to open our eyes to how you are taking care of us, how you have taken care of us. Inspire gratitude in this season as we welcome you, Jesus, again, the greatest of all gifts. And spark our hearts to... To bask in your forgiveness, to see ourselves the way you see us. And teach us to see others the same way, to let the past be past, let it be gone. Again and again. May this season be one of reparation, of of reconciliation. May this be a season of joy and togetherness. May this be a season of, of gratitude for goodness we always love being your children. Good, good Father. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.